on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Matt and maybe Nick, if he isn't down for the count, will perform their infamous Book of Boba Fett episode breakdown on Episode 4, a.k.a. The Gathering Storm, to learn fans on what is happening and what may go down next. After that, they'll discuss a huge rumor for the show's fifth episode and a fan-favorite character. They have some new Ahsoka series casting news to dissect as well. Star Wars gamers will get an update thanks to EA's latest announcement on current projects, and then the show will close out with this week's version of the fan segment, complete with responses to the question of the week and the latest round of Star Wars fan artist features. Punch a Chewy! And welcome to a nasally version of the Star Wars Time Show. That's right. It's just Matt this week. Young Nick is sick. And it's not in his dick. All right? Don't ever accuse me of being Dr. Seuss, but sometimes I like to rhyme. So, hey, how's it going? It's going to be an interesting show today, as solo shows usually go. Uh, They're not my favorite, but you got to do what you got to do. If you can't tell, I sound kind of like shit as well. Uh, That's because I got, uh, I don't know, I I got some form of disease from a kindergarten class, probably. Little kid came down with it over the weekend, and now it is daddy's turn. So it's, it's not COVID, but in the head, nasally, stuffed up, scratchy throat, fatigue, But I'm not tired enough to do a brand new episode of the SWTS for all of our tens of fans. So thank you to those of you that decided to dust off your device and fire up the Star Wars Time Show on YouTube. So if you want to join in, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. Woo! All right. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, Nick's out. I'm never a huge fan of... Not having Nick here, especially when we have new Star Wars to talk about, break down, speculate on. So uh, probably not going to be the most uh, intense deep dive into the Book of Boba that we've had. But you know what? I'll do my best. I do it every Wednesday morning for you all early if you want to get my thoughts before the show. So don't forget to uh, sub to the YouTube channel and uh, turn on notifications, all that jazz, and look for my Wednesday breakdown of every new episode of Star Wars that ever gets released, all right? I'll be doing it tomorrow, even though I feel like hell right now. I already have plans to probably wake up at 4 because I have a meeting at 9, and you know the life of an OCD Star Wars narcissist. Just, it never ends. Just one more video, maybe that will be it, right? That will be it, my friends. And then they will all come in. They will all be coming. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is my mind at? They will all come to the channel and bend the knee to the great Star Wars time show. All right. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, I did consider bringing in a co-host, but it was so late in the game and I feel like shit anyways. I just didn't feel like messing with, hey, you got Skype and do you have the ability to record your own mic stem so we can get a, a clean sounding audio only version but yeah if if 
if I ever have notice next time, I'll definitely look for a, a co-host from the fandom. Uh, maybe someone that's been on or someone that hasn't been on before. Uh, but until we switch up platforms, it, it would require Skype and some of that type of stuff. It, it's not hard to do, but anytime you tell someone, hey, we use Skype, they're like, <laughs> when all Skype is, is essentially, well, really all MS Teams is, is Skype. So it's all the same shit. Who cares? It works just like Zoom, the other stuff. One of these days, if we actually have a real audience and make some cash, um, I would love to use pay for tools that make all this easy but hey uh, that's just not <laughs> that's just not the type of show we run here you know we, we're, we're clearing about 100 or so views on the live stream uh, 300 so on the audio we need that by like a factor of, of 10 times 10 that is before we start uh, getting any sort of cash or real offers from partners that want to help us out but hey it doesn't matter. We're here. I'm ready to talk some Star Wars. And when I say we, yes, I am talking about the mouse in my pocket. Okay. Uh, so there's really no, no BS segment this week because Nick is out. Not that I think we would have had one even if he was here. Uh, because like I said, I'm, I'm not uh, firing on all cylinders. I'm a small guy anyway, so I'm probably only like a V4. But I might be down to like a two cycle right now. And of course I worked out because that's what morons do when they're ill. All right, so um, before we get into breaking down the book of Boba Fett, S1E4, a.k.a. The Gathering Storm, I've got, um, I, 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 th this article popped up last week. If you're on the live stream, you'll see it. It comes from, um, it's a site I've followed for many years now, Geek Tyrant. And this is really nothing new. Uh, what this article is discussing, for those of you on the audio only, is the fact that George Lucas himself at one point in time considered showing Boba Fett surviving the Sarlacc pit in uh, ROTJ, the special edition. And th this comes from the 2004, I think would, that would have been the DVD release where George did some pretty in-depth commentary for the special editions and, and the other movies. And he, he put a quote in there, which is fantastic. And yes, I am only talking about this because it, it kind of reinforces my point all along about Boba Fett. Uh, but I also want to remind some of his super fans out there that even the maker himself, George Lucas himself, all right, I, has the fandom made it to that point where they're going to discount what this guy has said about his characters? I don't know. But I've always contended that on screen Boba Fett was a jerk off. We call him the Bozo Fett around here. Uh, Tamora has said it himself, uh, Filoni, all of them. And now even the maker said it way back in 2004 when he was discussing the possibility of showing Fett returning. Uh, so here's what he said to kind of highlight my point that, yeah, I, all you can hang on to your expanded universe and legends and all that fun stuff, but I was always of the mindset, if Lucas didn't have a hand in it, it wasn't real. All right. These days, yes, George isn't here, but there is a defined story group that manages the canon. So that's why I accept stuff like the comic books now as canon. Go ahead, boo, hiss, yuck me. It's my show, my opinion. Everyone shut the fuck up. All right. So here's what George said about everyone's Boba Fett, especially for those of you that are disappointed in the book of Boba Fett, thinking you were going to see some crazy ass uh, wannabe Mandalorian bounty hunting uh, Wookiee skinning fat in every episode. 
I'm not quite sure what planet you're on, but I, I, I never really anticipated the book of Boba Fett being anything than what it has turned out to be. And so far, I've been a fan. But here's what George had to say about Boba Fett and why he ultimately decided to not um, resurrect him in ROTJ special edition. And uh, I, I'm not going to do my best George impression because he kind of talks like this, right? In the case of Boba Fett's death, had I known he was going to turn into such a popular character, I probably would have made it a little bit more exciting. There you go, right there. Even George back then had no clue that this background character was going to turn into the fan favorite that he obviously is at this point in time. So, George again, he says, Boba Fett was just another one of the minions, another one of the bounty hunters and bad guys. He became such a favorite of everybody's that, for having such a small part, he had a very large presence. And now that his history has been told in the first trilogy, it makes it even more of a misstep that we wouldn't make more out of the event of his defeat because most people don't believe he died anyway. Alright, so there you go. George Lucas himself, on the record, saying Boba Fett, in his movies, the original trilogy, was nothing more than a background character bozo, and that's why he gave him that ridiculous Wilhelm-esque death. Thank you. Yes, Tones, I know, that was kind of more like Family Guy. Uh, I, I guess I should have, in our Discord today, someone shared a, a Nick Gillard TikTok. Uh, obviously not Nick's, but in it, George was uh, threatening to beat him up. And I should have listened to that over and over again to perfect my George, but, but there you go. So yeah, that, that's just me kind of being an asshole like I am. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, George, I thought that was funny to be reminded of that quote from 2004 where Lucas himself was like, you know, <sighs> with hindsight, we probably should have made Boba a bigger badass and not killed him like a punk. Oh, well. That's why we had the book of Boba Fett, and that's why I'm loving it. So let's just get right into it. Like I said, there's not much to bullshit these days. Uh, feeling ill, don't really have any great games. Peacemaker uh, still continues to be great. Oh, I know one thing. Are there any, at least in the live stream right now, and if you're not and you, and you hear this, go ahead and DM, get in the chat. It's cool. Are there any Raised by Wolves fans? It's a show that came out, I think, during the, uh, the first year of the pandemic, from Ridley Scott on HBO Max. Uh, pretty far out shit about androids trying to raise atheistic humans on Kepler 22B. Um, but the second season is coming up soon, so I'm going through a rewatch of the first. And man, I, I forgot how wild this show is. Uh, it does kind of go off the rails a little bit from some of its main narratives early on, uh, but it, it's pretty far out. I don't know. I, I dig all that shit. Like, it, the. The whole idea that Earth was essentially reduced to atheists versus uh, extremely religious people and the different viewpoints and, you know, the people's thoughts on androids, are they real, so on and so forth. So second season's coming up, so I'm getting my, my first season rewatch in. But like I said, it, it gets a little, a little funky there towards the end of the first season. All right. Yes. Boba does sell some figures, as Tone is saying in the chat. So if you are listening audio only, I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to incorporate the, the live stream audience today and, and take some of their questions so I have some sort of uh, back and forth and I'm not just sitting here spewing my own thoughts because I feel like that's what I do most of the time. And, and like I said, if you watch my breakdown videos every Wednesday after a new episode of Boba Fett airs, 
you're kind of already getting what I thought. That's why it's always fun to have Nick here to talk. But, oh, well, I'm still going to do it. I'm sure there's things to discuss, things to dive a little deeper on from episode four of the Book of Boba Fett. Again, it was called The Gathering Storm. And we can kind of see why there at the end when we got a nice little music motif nod to another highly popular Star Wars character that just so happens to wear Mandalorian armor. All right, so if you're new here, we uh, typically go through and just give our general thoughts of the episode and, and then break down the Easter eggs and key moments to kind of speculate on what might be going on and what might happen over the three remaining episodes. Uh, I, I think I have a good idea what's coming in episode five just based on previous rumors and leaks, but you never know. So uh, I'll be honest with you. Episode four of the Book of Boba Fett just may now be my favorite so far and stick with me on this one. Uh, I think it did probably the best job to date at spelling out, at least to those fans that need it spelled out in terms of dialogue and can't just kind of see where things are going. But it really spelled out finally why Boba Fett is doing what he is doing in the present. Uh, that flashback between him and Fennec and how they partnered up and all that fun stuff. I, I thought that was, it was eye opening. Sure. The action scenes were great. Saving the slave one was fun. Loved watching, you know, Fennec essentially do it by herself. <laughs> Why Boba Fett's in there proving to all of us that the design of a fire spray gunship is stupid. I mean, you had to love that moment. Cause we, we've all asked ourselves like, you know what? The ship looks cool when it's flying. It sounds even better, and its seismic charge is one of the, the, the juiciest sounds that our ear holes can process. But the design of the ship is ridiculous, and Boba proved it himself in the breakout as he's sitting there <laughs> staring at the ceiling as Fennec is single-handedly taking out every one of Bib's bodyguards. Uh, so I love, I mean, he even said, he's like, Hey, I can't, <laughs> he's just like, I can't see, help me out. And, and luckily she's a, a sharpshooter and dropped the gate just in time. But I, I love that scene, not just for the action elements and, and the interaction between Boba and Fennec early on in their partnership, but for the pure fact that someone finally questioned the design of the slave one, like when, when they're taken off, they're staring into the sky. So when you when you're still trying to get out of the, when you're trying to get out of tight hangers, you almost need someone standing up and looking out the window to kind of see where things are going. So uh, my opinion overall, like I said, I think S one E four was one of the strongest to date. It had a good runtime, good pacing for me, and I think it had a lot of great connective tissue from the flashbacks into the present timeline. I know people, a lot of fans aren't a huge supporters of the Mod Squad, but you know what? Getting that moment from Boba's near past at this point, because let's be real, we now know for a fact that the flashback in episode four was taking place concurrently during the Mandalorian season one timeline. So we're definitely in the Mandoverse timeline at this point in time, uh, be it flashback scenes or even the present timeline. So uh, all that stuff was great, but like, uh, just some of the dialogue between Fett and Fennec and, uh, you know, him kind of laying out his, his transformation to her and him making or her making fun of him. Uh, you gotta love that. Hey, hey, you, you living with the Tuscans made you soft, but he's like, no, 
They made me strong. You can only go so far without a tribe. Now, I've been trying to tell all of you all along that this dude has been seeking a family since he saw his dad's head roll out of his helmet at 10 years old. So I do think uh, that was a, a, a key scene that, and, and I'm kind of with Bat here in the chat, I, I'm still not completely sold that Fennec is not going to betray him in the present timeline. Uh, you could even see it during their first mission together. Like She is questioning who this version of Boba Fett is, like many fans out there. And she sounds like she's like a lot of you, or at least I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's a, a minor portion of the fandom. They're out there screaming on their socials about how Boba Fett is being ruined and the book of Boba Fett is doing to Boba Fett what TLJ did to Luke. And that's all to me. That's a bunch of horse shit. And you're just not paying attention. Uh, I've been enjoying the, the kind of the slow burn here. Uh, not getting Miller time type of episodes, but getting cliffhangers and having to wait a week to see what's going to happen. Uh, but so far, up through this episode, I, I think I'm, I'm holding strong on kind of how I've speculated why Boba was going to be the way he was going to be and, and all that fun stuff. So episode four to me was a, a good time, and I'm hoping that continues in five, six, and seven. Because Based on how four ends, my friends, I think we are on a ride for the final three episodes. I'm not going to go on a limb and say that I think flashbacks are completely over because, at least to me, someone that digs getting the the little lore nuggets from the flashbacks, they still owe us one more explanation. So while we got the, hey, you know, Lord Fett, you're fully healed. You don't need the plot device to take you back into the anymore. I still think we're going to get some flashbacks, at least in in episode five. And and hear, hear me out here. So far, John, who is the main writer of the series and, you know, Floney probably was consulted for every episode that he didn't have a hand in writing, which is all of them but six. Um, but I, I, I do feel like I just lost my train of thought. Where the hell was I going with this one? Oh, boy. That's why I need Nick here. Um, what the hell was I thinking about? What was I about to say? Oh, well. Uh, maybe it will come to me down the road. I, I don't know if I was talking about directing. Although the episode four was directed by, what, Kevin Tankeron? Tancheron? He did a pretty damn good job. We got some uh, great looking, uh, great looking moments there at the slave one, which I will, which I will touch on. Oh no! So what I'm saying, uh, flashbacks. Thank you, Black Series Clips in the in the chat. Sorry, I'm I'm brain dead a little bit. Uh, so the one flashback I still think we are owed, and the only reason I'm saying this is because John and Dave have essentially given us every single. A bit of backstory that we could ask for based on what we saw play out in the Mandalorian season two episode four finally showed us how he got keyed into uh, Fennec being dead on the sands of Tatooine and I, I, I would have to go back to last week's episode but I do believe I may have suggested you know I'm always I'm always coming here to try to get myself a win but I do believe I suggested that maybe he was just kind of out there and and heard the battle and, and want to investigate. But, you know, we got that he saw the flares going up that Mando and what's his name? Talico Schmalico shot up to kind of blind her so they could make their approach. So I'm going to take a half win on that. But going back to my point, they've given us everything. 
They've explained it all. They explained how he became a gaffy stick warrior. They explained how he ended up with the nomad robes. They now explained how he ran into Fennec. What have they not explained yet? How he finally realized that either Cobb Vanth or Din Djarin uh, were in possession of his armor. And we know that from episode four when he heads out to the pit thinking his armor was still in the pit. Now, I'm, I'm probably like some of you going, like, hey, well, that's kind of odd he thinks it in there. I mean, I get it. He, he was essentially comatose when he, climbed them, when he climbed out and he was dying as the Jawas took it from him. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure why he thought he would be able to escape by taking his, his armor off. Maybe he thought it dissolved. No, none of that makes sense, but who cares? Back to the main point, we still don't know how he finds out that his armor is still on Tatooine and in possession of somebody else. Probably Cobb Vanth over at Most Pelgos. So I do think we may still get that little bit of a that that a little bit of a flashback, even if it's not through a back to tank. You know, may, maybe they kind of connect it to the the musical motif that played at the end of episode four, and he's reflecting on his time meeting Din for the first time, and that's how we we kind of get transported to the past, and we learn that you know maybe him and Fennec decided to kind of do. Uh, search patterns in the Slave One scanning for the armor because we did learn in episode four that the that the Slave One does have the ability to at least track his armor somehow. Um, I'm guessing he he set that up many many moons ago. Uh, so maybe they're making passes scanning for the armor, going over all the Moses, most Isley, most Pelgo, most most Espa, scanning, 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 and and possibly they find it that way. But I I, I still think. <laughs> That, is, th- that moment is in the cards just because of how kind of true they have been to explaining why Boba Fett looked the way he did and acted the way he did when he resurfaced in Mandalorian S2E1 and then E6, 7, and 8. All right, so hear me out there. I, I still think there is potential for another flashback. And I also, just based on some interviews from Tem from months ago, he did mention that we, we are going back to the OT. So if we, if we think about what Fennec said in, in Krennix and hi, or, or credits and hiring muscle, there could be a similar moment to where he kind of thinks back to his time as a hunter and some of the named bounty hunters he worked with to then pull them into the present timeline and make that connection as well. It just seems like John has gone out of his way to connect moments from Boba's past into the present. So everything has a through line to then make sense to the, the, the story being told here. All right. Um, yeah. Tone. So tones in the chats asking, could Cobb be a part of the hired muscle? Uh, I, I have, I, I don't doubt it. I, I mean, we'll get there as I get deeper into the key moment br- uh, breakdown, but uh, it's wide open when you have a master assassin saying, Hey, with credits, I, I know how to hire some muscle. Uh, is she going back to the Assassin's Guild? It, will it be bounty hunters? Is she going to phone up what seems to be a friend in Bo-Katan? I don't know. I, I think Bo and Casca made it pretty clear in The Mandalorian Season 2 that they are not bounty hunters, so I, I don't think they would uh, jump at, at some credits, but maybe based on shared experience, they come in. Who knows? So yeah, I, I think... At this point, the, the Din Djarin or Mando, for those of you that don't know his first name, him showing up in the Book of Boba Fett is a done deal. There's, there's just too much smoke. 
It was a dead giveaway with the musical motif at the end of episode four. Plus, there have been rumors and leaks now that date back almost uh, a year and a half, uh, which I'll discuss in another topic after we get through this. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see the, the, the boss, the Dangars. I don't know if we'd get a, a, a Valance because he's more of a comic guy. But, uh, yeah, anyone that was on the, the, the bridge of, of Vader's Star Destroyer, I think it's fair game if they're not already dead, which I think most of them did survive, ultimately War of the Bounty Hunters. All right, so yeah, there, there's plenty of potential here. Um, you know what, Tones? Thanks again. So this is coming from the chat. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, like I said, this is my interaction today. So if you're on the audio only, I apologize. But Tones is saying, Tem was quoted as saying, working with the Ewoks was fun. I think he's mixing Ewoks with Jawas. There's a chance, or he may have slipped and, you know, possibly gave away a moment of him playing Captain Rex in the ROTJ timeline. You, you never know. I mean, he said it himself on the record, like, hey, I look like these guys, you know, Captain Rex and the like, so give me a call. Uh, but yeah, I, I did see that too. So Tem had a, he either had a little slip or like Tone said, he's, he's mixing up his universe little people. All right, so let's get into some of the Easter eggs references and a, a, a cameo at that from Book of Boba Fett, Episode 4. Just let me pull up my notes because uh, I don't have a co-host today, so I got a vamp like a motherfucker. Uh, where are we here? All right, there we go. Got him. All right, so Rick from the chat, Rick Emmert is saying, could Dangar be partially upgraded by this time in the timeline? I, I sure as hope not uh like many things the rise of skywalker and and other sequel trilogy films i i don't know i don't i don't really like that backstory um you know we we gotta remember we're still only about six years post rotj so hopefully dangar isn't feeling bad about his appearance yet and going to get all of his uh you know cybernetic botox or whatever the hell he did to himself uh but yeah that that would that would suck uh, I would not. I would like to just see the good old toilet paper head, and his brown armor, and his little backpack, and his little chubby belly, and all that fun stuff. Um. All right. So, going through the Easter eggs of the episode, starting here with uh, how Boba realized that there was some shit going down in the desert. And like I said earlier, I'm, I'm going to take a light win on this. If anyone wants to go through last week's uh, episode, episode 196, and look for my exact quote, but I do believe at some point in time when I was spitballing on this, I said, you know, maybe he's just out there and, and, and hears it, hears the shots or something. And I, I guess I was stupid and forgot that they used these flares. Uh, but I did like this call back to... Uh, that Mandalorian episode, I, I believe that is S1E5 at this point in time. All right, so that, that was some good backstory. We've been asking all along, you know, as soon as we heard the show was announced and what it was going to do, well, how did he find Fennec Shand? How did he even know what was going on? Was he tracking Din because he heard there was... No, none of that. It was very simple. Like he told Fennec, he was content giving up his hunter days until the shit happened with the Tuscans, and he realized, like, you know what, enough's enough. Uh, fuck these crime lords, screw these syndicates, I need to do something about it. Uh, so he happened to stumble upon this uh, exchange going on with Fennec and the two bounty hunters because he was just out there camping with his best Bantha buddy. All right? Timing here. Uh, lot, lots, of, lots of elements of fate playing into this new version of Boba Fett or Boba Fett Resurrected. 
we're already getting callbacks to this show itself. So I know there's a lot of people out there that are not fans of the Mod Squad for one reason or another. It seems to either be their polished look being on Tatooine or the fact that they listen to uh, cyberpunk music. Uh, As I said last week, none of that shit really affects how I watch this stuff. Uh, I'm here again for the story and the story only. Yes, I will comment on goofy looking visuals and sure, I will critique bad looking action. But in the end, I'm, I'm not going to let the, the, this mod parlor or the mod squad derail my enjoyment of the story that's being told. I, I just, who cares? Who gives a shit? Uh, but it, it was nice to kind of get this through line now to, hey, Boba worked with these people back as Nomad Man. So it makes a lot more sense now why he enlisted their help in the present timeline. Uh, and you can even see the, the same bikes. It wasn't the same characters. So, you know, maybe Boba's mod squad killed these motherfuckers and, and, and took their Power Ranger Vespas. But either way, I, I did dig kind of this, this nod to, hey, look, Boba's been dealing with these motherfuckers since his time in the desert. All right. Uh, I, I, I went out on a limb here, and I'm still not sure if it's... it's 100% accurate, but, but I'm saying right here that my man Thundercat, before he changed into his Dr. Mangala attachment, was using a B2 arm, all right? B2 hand, at least. I'm going to take it. Counts, all right? You heard it here first. Um, and then here's our cameo. Uh, for those of you that are into newer generations of musicians, this is a dude named Thundercat. Never heard of him before, but when I was watching the episode bright and early last Wednesday... On my notepad, I was like, look up this guy at the end. Because I, I just, it was too obvious. Like, hey, th- this guy's getting a cameo. He must be somebody uh, rather than just a standard actor. So there you go. Is, is, I forget his full name. I thought I wrote it down. Stephen Thundercat Bruner or Brunner. Not quite sure how you uh, pronounce it. But there you go. Got a nice little uh, cameo. Um... All right, so I'm going to touch on the whole fire spray slave one thing because that's what Star Wars is these days. We got to make mountains out of molehills. But I, for all intents and purposes, and just just bear with me here, those you, you slave one fanboys, and as you've heard me, I, I still refer to as the slave one. The way fire spray gunship was used in this scene made sense for him to say the model versus and I love that this come this came from our discord versus his license plate number all right does that make sense to everyone boba chose to use the model of his ship to explain it to someone that may not know the name of the ship versus using his customized license plate name for said ship so i do feel even though I, I, I think I said myself, I, I, I hope they don't speak it in the show. Oh, well, that's gone. But the way this scene played out made sense to me. And it, it, it made sense that Boba would choose to use a fire spray gunship versus I need to get my slave one. Because l- l- let's just go off. Of, you know, Fennec may not know the name. She'd be like, what? You need to get your what to do what? How's that going to help? So just... To me, it was kind of natural for him to say, I need your help to get my fire spray gunship back. Okay, fire spray gunship, Fennec's like, I, I got you, I know what you mean, let's go do it. So I, I, um, 
I know there's people out there. The memes are flowing. Some of them are funny. I think my favorite is the one with... <laughs> it's the scene from TPN where, where Padme confronts little Anakin for the first time. And and uh, I'll just pull it up. It's in our in our Discord. Which, if you want to join, by the way, it's Discord's getting a little saucier these days. We actually... I've I've committed to interacting with a bit more. It's there's some good fans in there that like to speculate on episodes and just talk Star Wars. So uh, you can join up if you're not there already. Just use our bio link in Instagram. Um, but it's the meme. Just give me a second here. Like I said, I, I gave you the setup. Okay, so you know when when Padme's like, "Are you a slave?" and and she's like, "I'm not a slave. I'm a boy. My name is Anakin." Well, the meme is, "Are you a fire spray?" <laughs> And then the next part has Anakin with the Slave One, uh, just, it, it would be like a, a Photoshop job I would do, just plastered over his face, and it says, I'm a ship and my name is Slave One, so I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about that type of stuff, alright, I, 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 I'm down with it, but I'm not going to sit here and get into the weeds with the fans that are throwing pity parties, because a, a ship's moniker uh, wasn't used and its model was used. All right. Like I said, the way the scene played out, the way the dialogue was constructed, it, it just made sense to say my, my fire spray gunship instead of the slave one. All right. I don't care if she knew it or not. It just, it, it would have been, Hey, I need to go get my slave one. All right. Have fun, Boba. I'm out of here. You creep. Uh, so we're through it. We're over it. It's not that big of a deal. Seriously. Calm down. It's just a name. It's just a name. And you can call it the slave one all you want. No one is going to arrest you or send you to the SJW police. <laughs> all right. So we, uh, we had a return to Jabba's palace under Bibb's rule, which was nice to see. Uh, we got to see more of the palace than we've ever seen before, in particular its kitchen and one of its hangers, which was neat. Uh, but one of the uh, droids, one of the cooking droids here, what is an EV model? Hell, I'm just going to go with it. Why not? 8D8 stuck around, so why wouldn't EV99 stick around? And now, instead of being the Lord of Droids, EV99 has been reduced to a sous chef. All right, so it was nice to see that droid back in there. Remember, this is the one that uh, gave R2 and C3PO their new jobs once Luke gifted them to Job of the Hut. <laughs> We already have memes on the chef droid, which is literally, I believe it's, it's call sign is a COO chef droid. Uh, these first appeared in Attack of the Clones, at least in the novelization. Uh, we got to see one in here, but come on. It, it, there was such a clear nod to General Grievous when it goes into uh, Ginsu mode with all the cleavers and knives and starts spinning them around. I mean, really, and I'm surprised... John or Filoni skipped out on this. Maybe they thought it was too much tongue-in-cheek. But you, you almost had to have Boba say, hello there, when he's presented by this droid. Alas, we didn't get it. Either way, it was um, pretty fun to, to watch this play out. So th this was like a, a double banger. It was a callback to a droid that first appeared in Attack of the Clones on that refugee ship that Anakin and Padme were on. And then all the, the, the general uh, grievance undertones that were going on with this scene. All right. It also appears that uh, EV-99 was preparing sorghum frog stew. All right, so these one-eyed frogs are the uh, sorghum frogs that we saw Grogu slurping down in the first season of The Mandalorian. So it seems that Bib 
uh, would have species brought from off-world to help add to his ever-growing midsection. This was one of my favorite moments. It might have pissed off more serious, angry Star Wars fans, but I absolutely enjoyed the saga of the rat catcher. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I love the setup, right? The chef droids, like, I'll call the rat catcher. And you're like, okay, well, what the hell is that going to be? And then this, this little thing shows up, which is a lep droid. And this is the first time we've seen one active in live action, they, they first showed up in the Clone Wars movie and then were, were seen extensively in the Clone Wars animated series. But I just, I, I love this droid. Uh, this is a droid I would collect. It, it just had a fantastic personality. Uh, I, I love its rat catcher persona, but my favorite aspect is when the little motherfucker essentially commits uh, seppuku. It sits there, it knows it has been defeated, so rather than dishonor its father and mother droids, it just turns itself off. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I'm getting old. I like the simple stuff. It was just funny as hell. He's just like, you know what? Fuck this bald guy. I'm done. And just turns himself off. But luckily, we saw in the present timeline, he does make it back. He does decide to turn himself back on and he is serving Lord Fett. Uh, you could see him there during the the dinner scene with all the other uh, vassals. So uh, much respect to this lab droid. I'm a huge fan. Give me a hot toy. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, the, the, the Slave One is not so much of an Easter egg reference. What we're looking at here, if you're on the live stream, in the bottom left corner, we got our gonk droid. It, it seems we have to have a gonk droid in every Star Wars series now. So we got one here. And this time... In, I could be wrong, uh, this, but I believe this is the first time I've, I've ever seen a four-legged, a, a double gonk. And uh, we learned that if you shoot the motherfuckers, they turn into some pretty capable bombs. So R.I.P. four-legged gonk, you served Fennec and Boba well. We speak your name. Next one here. Everyone loves this. As I said earlier, one of the coolest sounds in all of science fiction and what we used to call in the Star Wars time show, the seismic charge. I've since corrected my ways. The seismic charge got unleashed in a way that I don't know we ever thought we would see it, but I'm glad we did. But more importantly, it was just seeing it again for what? This is like the third or fourth time we've seen it drop in, in live action. And then hearing that sound, which is just oh so good, especially if you have a high end sound system. I mean, th th that sound is something you could just turn up and listen to on repeat and know exactly where it's coming from and what it's doing. So uh, I was a fan that we got to see this, even though Boba didn't want Fennec to touch his buttons. <laughs> and I threw this in there. I, I don't know. It's, just, it's kind of a callback to the Stinger. This is really the first time we, we saw what he did in the Stinger in the book of Boba Fett. So I threw it in there. And it was right before he came out of the flashback and told that he was fully healed. So it, it does kind of signify that, you know, metaphorically and physically, Boba Fett's healing process is over. We now know why he did this and what he's doing and what his goals are. And you know what? I, I respect them. And we'll talk about those during the, the key moments coming up here. And the big one here, the one that got everyone's nipples hard, the end scene. Where they don't even try to be coy. They just drop that 
you know, you get that flute going. It's like, oh shit. They're not even screwing around. Like they're pretty much saying, hey, uh, expect our buddy Din Dejarin in the next episode. So that was great. Hearing his theme right before the Boba theme kicked off was music to my ears. And yes, I remain to be a super fan of both theme songs. Uh, the, the, the Boba Fett theme song, I'm telling you, it's really growing on me. It doesn't quite get me emotionally charged yet, although I am getting there when I, when I get up and I sing it. I, you know, I, I do a little bit of a haka. I'm like, hoo, 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 I need someone to transcribe it for me because I don't know. If you have Apple Music, a lot of, a lot of songs now, it, it essentially has built-in karaoke, but unfortunately, I can't get the chance that are used in the Book of Boba Fett intro. So if anyone's a bigger loser than me and has time to transcribe that in full and give me every single ump and oomp and ah, I would love to see it. Would love to see it. All right, so now we're going to get into some of the key moments and get into some speculation here. Thank you to those in the live stream giving me some things to look at. I'll try to get to them, but as I'm actively breaking down, I'm not always looking at the chat, but I do appreciate the feedback and and giving me some uh, something to kind of bounce off of since young Nick is uh, down for the count today. Good. Black Series Clips in the chat has officially set the Book of Boba Fett theme to his ringtone. That is a smart and righteous man right there. We speak your name. Okay, so uh, key moments here. For me, someone that is more interested in lore than flashy shit and armor and, and pew-pews, I was, I, I was totally appreciative of getting final resolution on how Boba Fett, as a nomad, as a wandering dude, stumbled upon Fennec and healed her. All right, it, it all made sense. And like I said, I'm going to take the half win where I do believe I hinted that maybe he was just kind of right place, right time and heard it. He didn't hear it. He saw it, but we got to see it all. I will say, I've watched it, I think, three times now. There are no spurs, though, when he walks up. So there is a bit of a continuity issue with the stinger from Mando Season 1 and then how we saw this scene play out. All right, so for those of you that like to get angry about the little stuff, I expect to see the pitchforks get digitally raised now that I have pointed that out to you. How dare they? How could they remove his spurs? It's like cutting off his testicles. You've already neutered him so much and now you don't give him his spurs. I hate Disney. I'm boycotting Kathleen Kennedy, right? All right. Yes, intergalactic raptor I just covered. I know there's a bit of a delay, but you are exactly correct. There were no spurs. Okay, so, you know, we got to see it all. We got to see how he became aware that there was something going on. We, we got to see how he stumbled upon her and then how he saved her. And, you know, like I said, I know people don't like the mods and all that shit, but it, it, it's a great through line. You know, without, without the mod parlor and the mod doc, she's toast. I mean, it, it, he essentially had to replace her whole gut with machine parts. I mean, she, she's on her way to being the next Lady Vader at this point in time. Uh, so I just appreciated seeing the, um, how this played out. Because as I've always said, I'm a fan of Star Wars because of the story. And I like learning about how certain things came to be. If you show it to me, I always want to learn more about how it came to be. That, that's why the prequels way back when, why I was so excited. I was ultimately disappointed. I've gotten over that. They're much better. 
But um, I, I really wanted to see how Anakin's story played out and led to this uh, armored uh, black figure of death in A New Hope. And we're getting that in the book of Boba Fett based on what we saw in Mandalorian Season 2. So I am a huge fan of that. Uh, up next, the uh, talk here. So, uh, like I said, I, I, to most fans, I do believe if you've been paying attention or if you listen to this dumb show, uh, we, we've kind of been telling you all along that, you know, ultimately Boba's doing what he's doing in the present timeline because he wants to clean shit up on Tatooine. And that's more or less what we got here. Uh, we, we got a few more details. We, we got his exact motivation as to why he wanted to go from being a nomad to getting his ship back and going after Bib. But he's just like, listen, my main motivation is to stop working for idiots and getting myself or my people or people like me killed. We're smarter than them. Why the hell are we working for them? Why don't we start our own family? All right. So it, it, it was much more than, hey, I want to clean up Tatooine for the Tuscans. It's more, you know what? I want to do this for our people, for other bounty hunters. And obviously, I, I think there's kind of a, a side motivation to clean up Tatooine itself because he seems very keyed into Tatooine, our home. Don't let the Pikes take our planet. So he, he's kind of adopted Tatooine as his home at this point in time. But I got... Uh, I, I just, I, I liked the conversation between these two. And uh, like I said, you, you could, you really can, you can infer that Fennec back then wasn't quite sure of Boba's plan and his transformation. I mean, all along she's like, yo, you're, you're Boba Fett, motherfucker. Like, what are you talking about? You're going soft. I mean, she even says, the Tuscans made you soft. And his line kind of shooting her down, like, no, 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 no. They have made me strong. One can only go so far without a tribe. So that's the key line right there. That's how you know that the, the, the Tuscans changed him, his time in the pit, working for assholes all by himself and getting screwed over and half killed. He's had enough. That's it. That's why he did what he did at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2. And, uh, you know, we're, we're finally going to get to see, like, how does this experiment play out? As Fennec and Boba made clear, it has never been done before. You've never had a, a, a hunter or an assassin try to start their own Gotra, as Fennec called it. All right, so yeah, ever, as Inter Intergalactic Raptor is pointing out, Boba more or less called Darth Vader an idiot. And you know what? He, he might not be wrong. So that was all good stuff. And like I said, I think it, it, it finally spoke in words what the hell he's, why he's doing what he's doing. So for those of you that weren't quite sure and you're wanting him to just start murdering people and not talking for 40 minutes, there you go. That's why he's doing what he's doing. All right. Um, I, I did enjoy the reclamation of the slave one uh, I talked about earlier. I thought it was funny that they, they made a point to kind of make fun of the, of the design of the ship and how you can't fucking see when you're taking off, especially if you're in an enclosed hangar. But really, the, the, the key part of this, this moment, after they get it, because remember, Fennec was like, hey, I'm going to help you out, and then I'm going to take off. Like, my, my debt will be paid. So we did learn that there is no, there, there was never really a life debt pledge between these two. It seemed she either got off on the fact that he wants to kind of loop her in. Well, I guess this happened before that conversation. 
but it, it seemed like she enjoyed the action, the experience that she had with Boba and reclaim the slave one to the point where, yeah, you know what? I'll keep doing this. Why not? You know, this guy seems like fun. He's got some grand ideas. I don't know if I completely buy into him or them at this point, but what the hell else would I be doing right now? And, you know, he did kind of resurrect me from the dead. Uh, so good stuff there. Kind of learning that there, there is no life debt between these two. So if she does betray him, it may not be as, as uh, hurtful as we may have thought before when we just kind of guessed that you know, she might have pledged a, a debt to him where, as Bat's saying in the chat, she, she definitely chose to stay. Now, when people choose to do something, it could be honorable or it could be insidious. So you just don't know uh, what her ultimate goal is at this point in time. And, and, and as the people in the live stream chat have been saying all episode long, I too would not be surprised if we do see her flip, which I kind of guessed uh, multiple episodes ago. Yeah, we're getting uh, some, some chatter in the chat here. I, I will agree. With the flashbacks, they did not do a great job at showing how much time passed. Uh, but just to make sure everyone is clear, by the time all the flashbacks in episode four were essentially taking place in the, in the Mandoverse timeline. So that, that five to six, seven tops from the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, so there was a lot of time he spent with the Tuscans that, that just were not covered. Uh, there, there's a, a few more plot holes in, well, was that the first time he went to collect from the Pikes when they got killed? His, his, his clan got killed? I mean, how much time passed after that? Who gives a shit? Again, it's stuff I'm not going to get bogged down on because you know, we can kind of figure and put the pieces together at this point. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty much the entire flashback we saw from Episode 4 was taking place during Mandalorian season one, or at least the, the, the second half of it. Okay. This, and when I say this, if you're not on the live stream, when, when Boba said like, Hey, I, I got to go settle a few scores. I, I knew instantly what one of the scores was going to be. I, I didn't quite understand the second score. And uh, was that the Sarlacc pit is bib the second score? Who knows? But the first score he settled could be one of the most badass-looking thing I've seen in a in like a Star Wars kind of vehicle battle. When when he rolls up on them, all right. So the camera's like pulled in tight on on the Kenton Striders, the Nikto biker gang, and then it kind of opens up a bit. The perspective start starts to widen, and then you see the slave one, this little dot coming in from behind, and you're like, oh shit. I know it's about to happen, and I think this is going to be badass. And sure as shit, he just comes in with his gunship, guns ablazing, just blasting these motherfuckers to smithereens. It was beautiful, all right? And I'm sure those of you that have been a little salty on the show, this was probably a moment you've been looking for. This is what supposedly Fett was like to you. Uh, during the original trilogy era and all his aborted EU material. But yeah, th this was an angry fet, and it was uh, pretty joyous to see. I just loved it. I loved how it was filmed. I loved getting the perspective, like I said, of, of the Slave One rolling up and then uh, kind of the, the point of view perspective when we got the camera from behind the Slave One and, and you saw the, the Striders kind of trying to spread out and avoid the fire, and obviously that didn't help him out. So 
this was a a fantastic moment and one of the reasons why I, I really enjoyed episode four and it might might be my favorite so far when I think about it. Uh, it it was just it was awesome, right? You know that that's why you you get your gunship back to do stuff like that for sure. There it is, right there. This I love that shot when they're all trying to fan out, and he's like, they have no chance, like they have no shot in hell to avoid this. I mean, come on. We're talking about the slave one with its tail guns lit up nonstop, raining fire down on these shitheads. That uh, I mean. Let's be real. They, they probably weren't the only ones that, that took down the Tuscans, if at all. I mean, Fennec, I don't, I don't know if everyone picked that up, but uh, Fennec was like, you really think a Nikto biker gang was able to take down a camp of Tuscans? So that's like, a dun, dun, dun. who was that? Was that Bib helping out? Was that the Pikes? I don't know. Some interesting stuff there. Man, SW Props is just a Debbie Downer, isn't he, people? Let's go. Devin, get in there and start corralling your boy. This dude is a Debbie Downer on Book of Boba. He's one of these people that just wanted Boba speaking no lines and shooting his gun for 30 minutes straight, which, hey, fine. But you're crazy if you thought that was going to be this show. All right, moving on. Um, The... uh, the whole Sarlacc pit thing was, was interesting for, for many reasons. I honestly, and I think a lot of us, believed the Sarlacc to be dead after he burned his way out. I mean, we have to imagine he, he, he slit its throat open or its belly, burned his way throughout whatever goo he had to, then climbed up alongside it to get out. And when he was out, the thing looked dead as fuck. I mean, the, its tentacles weren't moving. They were just laying flat. I guess we could argue it might have been in a little bit of, of shock. Uh, but clearly it was not dead because we learn as Fennec and Boba return to it to look for his armor, which for some reason he thought was still in the pit. It springs back to life and attacks the slave one, pulls it in, and we get that awesome moment where Fennec hits the, the, the seismic charge button right at the uh, last second to wipe him out. Um, so it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a cool scene. I, I don't know. There might be some weird plot issues with it. Like I said, if the Sarlacc was still alive... Why didn't it just rope him back in after he crawled out and finished its meal? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and get worried about it because uh, we, we did get this follow-up scene uh, to see it get blown the fuck up and know it's dead, but then also watch him get lowered down into it and potentially harm his body even more than it already was. So hopefully everyone picked up on that where Fennec's like, dude, you're, you're fucking burning yourself going down there. You need a back to tank. So he might not be the smartest of reformed bounty hunters, but he is our Boba Fett. Um, all right, there he is. So yeah, I mean, we, we, you can almost argue at this point that he might have re-injured or re-burned a lot of his skin by, by heading down there looking for his armor. And, and you got to give him a little bit of credit thinking it was still down there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he thought like he shed it as he was crawling out. But even Fennec's like, dude, let it be. The armor is what saved you. It's what allowed you to not be digested by the acid. So, um, hey, one of those things we just got to sit there and be like, all right, it's Star Wars. It's science fiction. And we're talking about a beast in a, in a big ass hole in a desert that doesn't exist. All right. 
Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bite on this last one. Prop says, "Why would he go into the pit after the seismic charge blew everything up? It's Beskar, motherfucker. Beskar. Beskar's not gonna get blown up from a seismic charge if it if it can't get destroyed by a lightsaber. You think sound's gonna mess Mandalorian armor up? I think not. I think not. Good sir, and good day to you. <laughs> All right. So, um." Here is the, I've already, I'm not going to spend a ton of, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on, well, a seismic charge is sound, Justin, I don't know if you're aware of that, it's, it has nothing to do with heat, and if a lightsaber can't burn through it, then that shit's got a pretty high melting point then, would we not agree? Um, but I'll, I'll leave that at that. I, I, I've talked about this scene, this is where she calls him soft, and like I said, th- th- this could be hints at her never fully buying into him and possibly using him to get this family started with intentions of either taking it over for herself or for her real master, which could still be lurking in the shadows. Um, All right. Moving on. I still think we're going to get flashbacks, even though uh, Boba comes out and we get a key moment and announcement from the droid that, hey, uh, you are fully healed. But like I said... They, they've, they've paid too much attention to filling in all the gaps that people like me wanted to learn in regards to how did Boba Fett go from Sarlacc Pit to Nomad Warrior to finding uh, Din on Tython. So the last piece of that is still how does he figure out ultimately that his armor is on ta- Tatooine still in the possession of Cobb Vanth, who in turn gifts it to the Mandalorian. I... I don't know. I just, I, I have a feeling we're still going to get that. And, and it may not be a back to tank portal to get us there at this point in time. It, it could be him just talking about, yeah, did you give him a call? He's coming in. And then we get the flashback to the him and it's, it's Din and, and how he learned and was spying on him because I, I don't know about you people, but I, I would like to see from Boba's perspective, just like we kind of got with him and how he found Fennec. I want to see how he, Learned about the armor, knew to track Din, got a tracker on the Razor Crest, and tailed him to Tython. It, it would just seem odd that they filled in all the other gaps but that one. So uh, I, I guess technically, if we don't get it, a lot of that was explained in The Mandalorian itself. So, oh well, we're just going to have to live with it. But uh, considering they, they've showed us almost everything else and how he went from Sarlacc pit food to the king of the throne, why not show us this last little piece? You know what I mean? Uh, all right. Our boy. You know, who... I don't know. I, I guess it shouldn't be that surprised if they're going to invest the money in, in, the, in the costume, and it's a great costume they made for, for Black K, Kersantan, but who would ever thought that he, he would essentially is going to end up being a main side character in the series? And, and he has. He's been in every episode outside of the first one. And in this one, we get kind of a great nod to a line we heard spoken from Han Solo about what happens to Wookiees when they get pissed. And uh, you also get kind of more lore that most fans, or at least casual fans, would not be aware of. And that's the fact that Wookiees fucking hate Trandoshans. And for those of you that aren't aware, the reason Wookiees hate them is because the Trandoshans were the main enslavers of Kashyyyk 
when the Republic fell. So they were the race of alien that more or less helped the Empire enslave Wookiees to become um, kind of a workforce, as we saw in Solo, for Empire resources. All right, so that was good stuff. Um, yeah, Tones from the chat, he's bringing up uh, Peacemaker. It, it continues to be great. And, you know, I think this is some of James Gunn's best writing, if not the, the most funny. But he, James Gunn is definitely looped in a few Star Wars references at this point in time. And the, the one where he's like, yo, it's canon that Wookiees have teeth in their assholes. That is, that is just fantastic. I love that one. But um, watching the scene play out was, was fun because we, we finally got to see a Wookiee de-arm somebody that made him unhappy and it was i, I just i love how uh the the, the lovely and, and highly sexual garza flip comes out and tries to kind of pad his ego and, and, and really talk santo up and then he's like you know what i got fucking money to pay my debts rip and just tears the dude's arm off and and, and walks out so um great stuff there from Black K. Like I said, the best part about this show and this character is I, I finally know how to say his name without sounding like I either have Tourette's or a stutter. All right, Kersantin. Say it with me. Kersantin. Although Garza referred to him as Santo, and I, I, thought, uh, I thought Afra called him Santee or Black K, Big K. It doesn't matter. He's in the show. He's kicked ass the past two episodes now. Um, I don't know. Is he, is he material for an action figure yet? A hot toy? I know uh, some fans of the show would probably love that, and I think I would have to snag a Black K hot toy at this point in time. All right? Oh, sorry about that. I am a little stuffed up. Uh, but yeah, how about Garza Flip, by the way? I mean, she even got a costume change at this point in time, so she's another one that, that now has action figure or collectible potential. And we must speak Jennifer Beals' name. You know, amen. Amen to Jennifer Beals. All right? I don't care what your, what your persuasion is, but she just does something for me. And, and you know I'm a sick, sick man. And there's something about Twilex that just gets my juices flowing. So I, I love that she's also had more of just a, a one-off role in this series. Um, yeah, I got everyone talking about Peacemaker right now. Um, yeah, you know what, Tones? Tones is like, hey, I, I'm not a fan of Cena, but he is good. And, and I, I agree. I have, I have a lot more respect for what Cena brings to a, a, a movie or a series at this point in time. He does have pretty decent comedic delivery. Uh, I still think he ate too much human growth hormone, but you know what? He is killing it as Peacemaker. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get too, uh, too off the rails here, just talking by myself. All right, so the next key moment, and, and this is just, hey, I'm Matt. I'm special. Everyone look at me. I know Star Wars stuff. I can make good guesses. Uh, but but you, have, you, you have heard me talk about this dinner scene ever since we got the first trailer. And uh, especially when I realized that it, the, the Boba had the table set up on the Rancor pit. So we're talking many, many, many episodes ago. I was like, listen, I have a feeling he put the dinner table there for a reason. And some of us were guessing he, if they piss him off enough, he may just open it up and the table sinks in and they all die. But I'm still going to take the win because 
he did ultimately use his new pet, which we learned is a male. He did use his new pet to kind of get his his henchmen, these capos, in line. Right? I mean, it was it was right after the one guy made the threat. And as soon as, as soon as Dog Boy makes the threat, Boba's little puppy down there kind of roars like, you know what? You better shut the fuck up. And yeah, you, you gotta love that Boba takes takes a scrap off his plate and is like, here you go, good boy. Uh he, he, that's the other thing. I didn't really bring it up, but I like the softer Boba. In fact, I like animal lover Boba the best. Uh, his interactions with the Bantha were fantastic, and now you can see why he kind of received the rancor that way. I mean, he truly is a lover of nature and the animal species in that galaxy so far, far away. Um, yeah, that's a good point there, Tones. And I'm sorry for those of you on the audio only. Without Nick, I am taking a, a lot more feedback from the live stream chatters these days. Uh, but Tones did remind us that we have now cleared all of the trailer shots at this point in time. So episode five, six, and seven are completely fresh. And, you know, that's just more fuel to, to the fire that these last three episodes could be bonkers especially if they predominantly stay in the um, present timeline. Um, all right. So, and, and don't sleep on the rancor. I mean, we've known this in this little dumb show for many months based on a leak, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the rancor and him asking the ride, it, that, that's not on accident. You are going to see this, this play out, 100%. Okay, what the hell am I looking at here? Yeah, it's just, you know, he, he made a deal. Can we even say it's a deal? I mean, the deal was essentially, hey, you shitheads don't have to help me. Just don't help the pikes. So I, I guess that is kind of a quasi deal. And you do learn after the fact that he's like, you know what? I can trust them to be selfish assholes, which means they're, they're probably not going to team up with the pikes because ultimately they know the pikes are looking to take over the planet as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we finally got the, the full play out of this dinner and a, a light, a light true slash deal between Boba and some of Bibb's former vassals to keep things in line. Uh, all right. And then obviously the line at the end where Fennec asks, hey man, how much cash you got? And he's like, credits, no problem. They're coming out my helmet. They're coming out my wazoo. And she's like, all right, well. Credits can hire some muscle and you, you instantly get the little flute from the Mandalorian's theme song, a little, another one of the motifs. And then we end, you know, roll credits, give us the chanting. So, I mean, if that isn't a setup for Din showing up sooner than later, I don't know what is. And, you know, once we, once we talk about this upcoming rumor on our, on the next topic on this episode, I think it's going to be clear that he's coming tomorrow. I really think he's coming tomorrow. Like, there's just been too much smoke around the leaking sites that I visit. It's just, it just, it seems when you kind of factor in the rumors and leaks with what we got at the end of episode four, it seems like a done deal that, that Din may be arriving sooner than later. Uh, but more on that quickly. <laughs> All right. Okay. I don't know if, props, you saying I said Rodriguez was a lord and savior? I don't know. If I did, I'm an asshole, I guess. I mean, it's been pretty clear that the non-Rodriguez-directed episodes uh, tend to sit better with more of the fandom than the others. 
and he still does have one left. So if we're going on the assumption that Bryce Dallas Howard is doing this week's episode, or depending on when you're listening, episode five, and Dave did six, Rodriguez is getting the finale. All right? So, all right. Okay. I don't, I don't think Din showing up is not a kind of knock that Boba can't hold his own show. I think it's more of, it's world building, my friends. I mean, they, they told us this as much almost two years ago at that big conference. All these side stories of the Mandalorian are meant to supplement that story and eventually have a crossover event. All right, so I don't know what the problem is these days now that we have it, but it is the Star Wars fandom. Someone always feels like their Cheerios have been pissed in. So it is what it is. Nick and I spent way too much time uh, back uh, last episode just talking about how how spoiled and shitty segments of the fandom are. So I don't know. I, I have high expectations, and I haven't. I really haven't been let down. And, and this isn't. This is a fan talking honestly. I mean, what, what, what do I have to gain to lying to all of you or the 10 of you that I'm enjoying the show? Nothing. It's what I think. It's, it's given me exactly everything I wanted from the show. How did he go from the pit to being the shit? All right. And so far it's paid off. The only thing I would still like to see, as I said many times just on this episode, is how he does ultimately learn where his armor is at after... Uh, it seems like they just give up on looking for it at the end of episode four. Um, all right. So I'm going to move on to the, to the next topic here because it's directly related to that little musical motif we heard at the end of episode four, plus some leaks and rumors that date back as far as November 2020. Yes, November 2020. And I am talking about the rumor that the Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin, will be piloting an iconic prequel era ship in the Book of Boba Fett. And that ship happens to be an N1 Naboo starfighter. And from what I've heard, there's a good chance it's going to be all chromed and not have the, the um, kind of the two-tone look that we saw in The Phantom Menace. Okay, so let me just kind of set this rumor up and, and how I think it's as legit as it gets. Um, this first showed up over a year ago over on Making Star Wars when uh, Jason reported that on set he saw, now check this out, colorful, new-looking Vespas and an N1 Starfighter. All right, so this dude, love him or hate him, November of 2020 put out the report that on the set, which at that time, everyone thought it was the set of Mandalorian season three. They didn't know it was for the book of Boba Fett yet, but he saw the Vespas that everyone hates. So, you know, that that's a sign that this stuff's probably legit. And he saw an N1 Naboo starfighter. Okay. So... Be prepared, especially based on that musical motif at the end of episode four, to see dude showing up in a in a one man starship. Now I, I can kind of see the chatter in here, like, oh, you know, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Why he should have a gunship? And it, yeah, we we don't really know what Din's been up to. Right? All we know is that he has no ship and, and needed to get one. So if he had to, uh, well, hey, he also hasn't been working 
for who knows how long. I mean, he, he more or less gave up his career in bounty hunting once he realized that Grogu was special. Uh, so he hasn't been quite making some cash. And when a ship blows up, he may not have enough credits to get another massive gunship. So, you know, he had to roll over to Watto's junkyard and, and pick up a, an N1. So I'm, uh, I, I think if he shows up in an N1, it's going to be some great fan service for the, the prequel era lovers. Uh, and it's nothing that like I'm going to get angry about. I mean, there, there, there's plenty of Din's story left to be told in Mando Season 3. Maybe he switches it up. Maybe he keeps it. Who the fuck knows? Uh, but if he rolls out in a fully chromed N1, I think it's going to be a pretty slick-looking moment and one that fans of the current timeline, the Mandoverse, as well as fanboys of the prequels, will definitely uh, pop chubbies over. So there's just, like I said, there's just too much smoke around this rumor to, for it to not be true. Uh, because the Vespas hit, they're in the Book of Boba Fett, they're the gang, making Star Wars describe them to a T. They're like, they were colorful, they didn't look lived in, it didn't look normal for Tatooine, kind of all the things fans said when they were complaining about the, 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 the Mod Squad's Vespas. So yeah, I'm going with this is legit, and when Din shows up, he's going to be rolling in an N1. It just comes down to, is he showing up in Episode 5? Well, here's some more folks. More smoke, not folk. You're the folk listening to this bloke. But according to Bespin Bulletin, which is a site I buy into, I mean, he seems to only run stuff when he's confident. But according to his sources, they said Mando would show up in either episode four or five. And both were leaning towards five. And now that we know episode four has passed and we got the musical motif, his theme at the end, it just makes sense that episode five could be his debut. So yeah, uh, tomorrow could be pretty damn special depending on how you have processed the Book of Boba Fett so far. Uh, At this point, if you're one of the fans that is kind of discounted and you're not happy with it, you know what? That's up to you. I'm not going to sit here and try to change your mind. That's why humanity's fucked up because everyone thinks opinions are facts now and that if someone has a different opinion than you... It is a fact to them, even though it's just an opinion. It is what it is. Some people hate the show. I kind of feel bad for them. I don't. I'm enjoying it. But episode five, if all this, all these rumors kind of hit, which it's looking like they are, it could be kind of the first like, Nelly, holy shit. Look at this. Here he comes coming in to hang out, kind of get the lowdown on what Bob is up to, and maybe we'll get some insights into what Din's been doing since he gave up his ward to Luke Skywalker. Uh, so episode five could be a doozy. And, and as things have kind of suggested, uh, I believe this is going to be the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. And, and so far, she's done a really good job on her two episodes from The Mandalorian. Yeah, Tones, BDH is who I'm going with. Uh, just by process of elimination. Uh, we know Filoni's got to be on six because he co-wrote it. And Rodriguez said he has directed three. We've seen two of them, which is going to leave the finale for Rodriguez. Or I guess Rodriguez could do episode five and Bryce gets the finale. But I highly doubt the the EP, the quasi-showrunner, would uh, pass up directing the finale. So I- I'm guessing it's going to go Bryce, Filoni, back to Robert. All right, sorry for the uh, snot sucking up. I know that's disgusting. Uh, okay, so there you go. You heard it here at least 
secondhand that Din may show up in N1 Starfighter. But I do think, just based on what Bestman Bulletin said, and, and obviously MSW conf- uh, over a year ago kind of confirming that the Vespas are now for Book of Boba Fett, so why would the N1 not be for Book of Boba Fett? It just makes too much sense. So, you know, let, let's get excited for tomorrow. I, I know we're probably already excited, but tomorrow could be even juicier uh, than we've been experiencing in the first four episodes. Uh, the only reason I'm not looking forward to tomorrow is because I feel like shit, so I'm going to sleep like shit, and I have a, a 9 o'clock meeting in real life, which means I'm probably going to have to get up around 4 or 4.30 to try and get my, my stupid-ass breakdown done that no one will watch anyways. But this is just, uh, this is therapy for me. I like talking about this stuff. Uh, I, I can't shake it. I know no one watches, but I, I still feel compelled to get my thoughts out there for some reason, even though we do this stupid show once a week and I vomit out even more thoughts on the same subject. All right. Tones, that's a good question. Tones is asking if you're on audio only, will we see Pedro in the book of Boba Fett, like his face, or will the helmet remain on? <sighs> if we consider that the Vespas and the N1 were spotted way back in November of 2020, which would have been right when season two of Mando was kicking off, there's a good chance we do get Pedro in the role and not Latif or one of the other guys. I think so. Um, yeah, props. I, I don't know. I, I think uh, Book of Boba, they were filming right at the turn of 2021. Uh, and he didn't start filming The Last of Us until what? Spring of, of 21. So, and especially if it was just for only one episode, maybe three, I, I bet they could have got all his stuff shot in, in a week or less or maybe a couple days. All right. So there you go. Keep an eye out for Din showing up in a new ride and one that should get prequel fans excited. Okay, so we got some uh, kind of moving away from... Uh, there you go, Brando. Nothing like it. It's weird for me. Brando's saying his kid's waking him up, so he's, he's getting used to the 4 a.m. <laughs> screenings too. But for me, it's, it's a sickness. Uh, I, I typically, you know, I only need about five to six hours of sleep because I'm a little man. I'm getting old. Uh, but these days I've been going to bed earlier, and I, I, I'm typically starting to wake up around six. I'll lay there like a lazy ass till about quarter to seven. Then I'll get out and start getting the kid ready for school. But when it's when it's new Star Wars show day, for some reason, I don't even need to set an alarm. It, it's just like the 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 anxiety, the the excitedness, the nervousness, if you will. It just I wake up. And I, I usually wake up naturally on Wednesdays these days about 4.30 and then I lay there going like, fuck, I'm a loser. Why am I doing this to myself? I'll wait till 5.15 or whatever. But tomorrow, hopefully I'm feeling a little bit better and I can just roll my fat ass out of bed right at four and hopefully get this shit done before my real workday starts. And yeah, last week, last Wednesday, as predicted, was an ass kicker because uh, I was up at five. Did all this shit before work. I had to teach a three-hour class at 11. After that, pick up the kid. After that, meetings. After that, grading. After that, workout. After that, Matt falls asleep because he's dead. But it's all for the love of Star Wars, people. It's as authentic as it gets over here. Even if I scream and yell at people sometimes, I am a hardcore Star Wars fan of the lore. The lore. It's always been about the story, not so much about the uh, effects and the visuals for me. 
Okay. Up next, this is a uh, kind of uh, some exciting news for the Ahsoka series. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you may know her from 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think she was in Birds of Prey. Uh, she's been in a lot of movies. She, she's a pretty damn good actress. But uh, The Hollywood Reporter, so I'm going to take this as it's legit, even though Lucasfilm hasn't come out and said as much yet. But The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been tapped. <clears throat> oh my God, I'm such a pig. Excuse me. Has been tapped to play a role in the Ahsoka series. All right, so this now puts at least trusted site confirmed, and, and we know obviously Rosario is going to be in it. But at this point in time, here's what we have for the Ahsoka cast. Rosario Dawson as Miss Tano. Natasha Lou Bordizzo, rumored to be Sabine Wren. Hayden Christensen, rumored to be Anakin Skywalker, maybe Darth Vader. And Ivana Sakno, who is rumored to be a merc named Astrid. All right, so if we think about, all right, so who could Mary Elizabeth Winstead be playing? And here's some fun trivia that I did not know. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ewan Hello There McGregor are life partners in real life. All right? These two are hooking up. And I think they're making babies. So it's a good thing. Probably not so good for Ewan's uh, first wife, who I, I believe he may have left for Mary, but it's a good thing. It's a little, could we argue my friends, that there's a little Star Wars actor nepotism going on with Mary Elizabeth Winstead getting added to Ahsoka when you consider that her, her beau is one of the most iconic Star Wars actors of all time. All right? So uh, the, the, the cast is definitely shaping up. And in the article we put out on StarWarsTime.net, which we'd love for all of you to check out throughout the week in between shows, that's where we... Uh, kind of load up the articles that we find interesting and informative for other Star Wars fans. So, so check that out, like I said. Um, but th there's really no details on, on who she's going to play. So if you kind of think about the Ahsoka series and potential characters that could be in it, uh, I think Hera Syndulla is a, is a decent guess for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, and outside of that... I have to say either a new character or an Imperial remnant or maybe someone working directly for Thrawn. All right. She can't be, what, what was that girl's name? General Price or Pride from Star Wars Rebels because she's dead. Uh, but maybe she's just a, a new, uh, maybe direct report to Thrawn if she is going to play on the bad side. Uh, but if you look at the image I have pulled up on the live stream, I think with some some makeup and whatnot, you, you could definitely turn this turn her into a, a live action Hera. And Hera would make sense for an Ahsoka series. Uh they, they were they were good friends during the time of the rebellion. You know, they fought in some of the same battles, they lost some of the same friends. Uh obviously both characters have a strong connection to Ezra Bridger, who we're all guessing is gonna be a main plot point of the Ahsoka series. So I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping she's Hera. It, it would be great to see a live action Hera. We've gotten Hera in other properties besides just Rebels. She showed up in Bad Batch. She showed up in Star Wars Squadrons. Uh, but as other animated characters and just some of the joy it brings to fans of the animated series, I would love to get a, a live action Hera once and for all. And I do think Mary Elizabeth could 
be playing her. Uh, if it's not her, I'm kind of struggling who else she could be playing that is a familiar character. So that's why I'm going Hera or New. Hera or New. Are you with me? Live streamers, Hera or New? Any other? Does the live stream have any guesses on who this character could be playing? And I'll, I'll wait. But uh, other arguments for it being Hera, you got to remember, she hooked up with a Jedi in Kane and Jarrus and had a kid that uh, I think was implied to be Force-sensitive during the epilogue of Star Wars Rebels. So if you have a Force-sensitive kid right around the timeline of the Ahsoka series and you know about Ahsoka, you, you, you could see interactions taking place there. Like, hey, here's my kid. His dad's dead, remember? Sacrificed himself for all of us. Could you maybe help him in the ways of the Force? Or, you know, maybe Ahsoka will do him dirty like Grogu and say, fuck you, go to the, go to the seeing stone and, and see if Luke Skywalker can take care of him. My days dealing with Jedi training are over. All right. Yeah, Tones, that's what I'm saying. Tones is also going completely new. And, and that's where I'm at. I, I really think it's one or the other. I think she's Hera or brand new. And brand new could be good or bad. So... Not the best of speculative guesses from the SWTS, but like I said, I'm not operating at 100% today. I, I can already feel like the, the back's starting to give out. I might have some, some sludge coming out of this nostril. Good thing it's not in camera because I believe there's stuff dripping down into my mustache right now. <sighs> See what I do for you people? It's the love of the fandom. It's the love of the franchise. It's the love of this silly little Star Wars time show universe we all take part in these days. I speak your names. Okay. Uh, we got all sorts of Star Wars gaming news since the last time we talked here. Uh, a big one dropped today, uh, so I'm going to lead with that. But we, we finally got some insights into what are EA's, what, what is EA's plan as its uh, licensing deal with Lucasfilm starts to run out in terms of Star Wars video games. And we, we kind of got that plan today. Uh, sadly, it was a detail-less plan. There really wasn't much to it outside of, yes, we are, as an EA, is going to publish three new Star Wars games that are all being worked on or co-worked on by Respawn Entertainment. So Respawn, if you really want to get uh, historical, uh, before they were, I, I don't, it might have been a different name before Respawn, but they're, they're the people that invented Call of Duty before, uh, you know, Activision kind of ate that up and, and turned it into a yearly franchise. But the, but the core team, Vance, Vince Simpella and all those guys and girls, they were the ones that, that created Call of Duty 2 and then up to 4 and then see you later. Uh, they eventually left and formed their own studio, Respawn, which has gone on to make games like Titanfall, Apex Legends, and then for us, Star Wars Fallen Order. So today, EA revealed in, in kind of a just a very generic press release that EA has Respawn actively developing three new Star Wars games, with one of them being another entry in the Star Wars Jedi franchise. All right, that's how they wrote that. So let's get a little, little uh, sleuthy here. Does that mean it's going to be a direct sequel to Jedi Fallen Order? I don't know. Uh, you would think in the press release, which I'll, I'll pull up here on the screen, 
you would think in the press release that they would just say, yeah, they're working on Jedi Fallen Order 2. But here's what it says. Game director Stig Asmussen and his team at the studio are already working on the next game in the action-adventure Star Wars Jedi series. All right? So if you look at how Jedi Fallen Order is titled, it has always been Star Wars Jedi colon Fallen Order. Just like we had a Star Wars, you know, solo colon a Star Wars story. So does anyone else think that this could mean that the next Star Wars Jedi game doesn't necessarily have to be Fallen Order 2 and picking up with Cal Kestis' adventure? I will allow the live stream chat to type in their responses. This is usually where Nick would come in handy here. But it just seems odd that in the official press release, they refer to it as the Star Wars Jedi series and not directly Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2. So I think there is some, there is some wiggle room that the next Star Wars Jedi title could feature a completely different cast of characters. And maybe it does tie into Cal Kestis and, and kind of what he did and how he ended up in Fallen Order. But I, I thought that was curious, like my man Kenobi on Kamino, if anything else. It was like a double curious. So I don't know. I mean, it could, it could very easily be Fallen Order 2, and that would make the most sense because you already have a built-in fan base and you already know that the money will be given to you uh, uh, head over fist. Like, like fans of Fallen Order are going to instantly buy the sequel without even thinking about if it's going to be any good. But the fact that they say they're working on the, the next game in the action-adventure Star Wars Jedi series does leave room in my mind, for it potentially being a whole new cast of characters, maybe an, a, another Jedi, maybe one we know. I mean, wh why not do a game about what, what young uh, uh, Caleb Dune was up to during the same timeline that we played with Cal Kestis? So, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. So that's one of the games. One of the games. The other ones revealed we are getting a Star Wars FPS for the first time in what feels like decades. I'm sure it hasn't been that long. Maybe it has. I'm trying to think what would have been the last FPS. Uh, is that like, would those be like the, the, the Dark Forces or the Jedi Outcasts or Jedi Academies? I don't know. Uh, but we are going to get a, a Star Wars FPS. And this one uh, is going to be still developed over at Respawn, but the team is being led by Peter Hirschman, who is who used to be a VP of development over at LucasArts, and he also had a hand in the Battlefront series. Uh, so the guy obviously has history working with Star Wars games, so hopefully he kind of brings that experience with his new teams to this Star Wars FPS. I know in the Discord earlier, we were kind of kicking the tires on, could would they actually just give fans what they want and make the FPS be Mandalorian verse based? Uh, if you remember on this show months ago, maybe hell might've even been over the summer where someone had that crazy looking demo that seemed real where, you know, Mandalorian, well, I guess that was a third person shooter. So that wouldn't really play out. But um, to me as a star Wars FPS in this era it just makes sense, like, finally give Boba his fucking game or, or, or make it Mandalorian or, or, or make it set during the Mandoverse. But to me, I, I think that's where this FPS needs to live. It needs to live in this timeline that is being actively developed 
uh, at Lucasfilm these days for the small screen. So I am hoping it's it's one of our one of our mains that likes to use gats, and, and they are the the main character for the first person shooter. I mean, I, I'd fucking take Han Solo, Chewbacca, anyone that uses a damn gun. All right, anyone besides a no name character that you just play. Uh, this is a game I would like to play an existing character, at least to me. Yeah, I guess Kyle Katarn. That's one. Not bad tones. Not bad. He could work. And then the final game, and, and this honestly might be the one I'm most looking forward to, especially if it is kind of modeled after some of my favorite Star Wars games from the early aughts, uh, but there's going to be a strategy-based Star Wars game, and this is being uh, worked on in collaboration with Bitreactor, which is helmed by Greg Forscht, who is another industry vet. And, and I kind of just speculate... You know, if this is strategy-based, it's been a long, long time since we've had any sort of RTS set in the Star Wars galaxy, uh, but it could be similar to Empire at War or my one of my favorite Star Wars games of all time. So much so, I almost feel like firing up Steam if I ever get my fucking handheld and playing it again, and, and that is Galactic Battlegrounds. If you love games like, uh, what is it, like, the, uh, like StarCraft or the, the original Warcraft, where you essentially have to manage a base and resources and then build forces to go attack other bases. Galactic Battlegrounds did that for Star Wars, and I believe it covered the prequel era and modern timeline in, a, in an expansion. It was just, I have so many fond memories playing that in my early 20s when I used to manage a GNC and have eight motherfuckers show up over a 12-hour shift, so there's a lot of downtime. But I just sit there on my laptop and, and play battles over and over. I remember spamming droidicas and, and having like 30 droidicas strong rolling over towards my enemy's base and just waylaying it in seconds flat. So I'm really hoping this strategy game is something like Empire at War or Galactic Battlegrounds where, you, you know, you kind of choose factions, build out units and... Uh, uh, mod units, increase units, and then go into battle either against the AI or other live players. There you go, Devin. That's exactly right. You, I, I think you actually, you do harvest in Galactic Battlegrounds. I believe there were three resources and one of them was blue. I think one was pink and maybe yellow. So Devin here in the chat may be right. That could have been coaxium before we knew what that blue stuff was called. Speaking of which, uh, I'm kind of doing a chronological rewatch of the, the main films. Uh, so this week we got through Solo and Rogue One and then started A New Hope. And I know this is beating a dead horse, but, you know, fucking Solo and Rogue One are damn good Star Wars films. Like from top to bottom. If you just look at the, look at the sets they built and the attention to detail and, and all the little rinky-dinky shit and especially as we learn more about these characters, you know, I, I, I kind of liked seeing Solo again with some of the stuff that's been exposed to me about Kira from War of the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Rain. I, I like going back and, and seeing how these things affect existing uh, lore out there, uh, which is why I'm, I'm slowly building to Return of the Jedi. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for when the Book of Boba Fett is over, because once that is done, depending on the cliffhanger it leaves us on, essentially from Return of the Jedi to the end of the Book of Boba Fett, we, we now have a, a very complete uh, timeline of events that Boba Fett went through 
uh, working for Jabba the Hutt and then obviously figuring out that he wants to start his own Gotra. Uh, but man, I just like Solo and Rogue One, they're just quality flicks. They look good, good characters. I don't give a shit what people say about Solo. I, I, I like Alden. I think he does a damn good job as a, as a non-Harrison Ford Han. Uh, they're, they're, they're just fun to watch. Even if you just throw them on the background while, while it's like a family game night, uh, which we've gotten into here at the Haywood house. Lots of, lots of board games and cards and out the kids moving on six and, you know, trying to teach her other things to do at night besides watching her parents drink beer and, and dance to music like goofballs. But it's been fun kind of having those on the background as we do that. All right. Um, just one last little ditty on this game update from EA. Jeff Jeff Grubb, who is a longtime industry vet in, in gaming, gaming journalism, that is, he kind of put out there that, like, listen, today's announcement by EA is is pretty much the death nail to Battlefront 3. It's just, it's, it's never going to happen. Not that it ever was going to happen, but for any fans that were kind of holding on to hope, it's gone. Because uh, he's pretty much saying that, this announcement is a fun way of saying that they are not going to do a Battlefront 3. It seems like EA has decided, you know what, with this, the, the last few years of this Star Wars license, let's focus on our in-house IPs that we have created. So the, the Star Wars Jedi and then those two new ones. So it looks like Battlefront 3 is toast. And last but not least, the Star Wars FPS... <laughs> Sorry, people. I'm sucking in a lot of air today. Uh, probably because I can't breathe through my nose. But uh, the Star Wars FPS is from the Medal of Honor VR team. All right. Um, he, he's not certain if the Star Wars FPS is going to be VR, but I, I kind of hope not. Uh, so those are all the updates on what EA kind of said today. So recap. Three titles are in the works. They're all being actively developed, but Respawn is kind of calling for more help. So if you are someone that is in game design or any aspects of making a game, uh, I have the application link you can snag here right from StarWarsTime.net. Uh, so we're, we're getting a Star Wars Jedi sequel. Not clear if it's really going to be Fallen Order 2 or something different. And we're getting an FPS and we're getting a strategy game. So, good shit. Good shit. And sticking with the video game news, this little holdout here, and I'm talking about LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, which was first announced, I believe, almost three years ago at this point in time, if not longer. I can't remember if it was 2018 EA or, or E3 or 2019 E3. Maybe 2019, because that's when The Rise came out. But finally... We finally have a release date, and hopefully they don't move it because they, they kind of made a big ruckus last week. But LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is going to release for multiple platforms on April 5th. All right, and it's huge. And apparently it's going to have 20 DLC packs right out of the gate. Uh, it's just going to be a massive game, and it's one I am definitely looking forward to, hopefully getting a little one into it playing with me. And I know some people that love the classic Lego Star Wars games. It appears they have added a mumble mouth mode, which is how all the Lego games used to be, where, you know, they'd still show us familiar scenes, but the, the minifigures wouldn't talk, where some of the recent Star Wars games, they, they were actually fleshed out. So that, that's, that's good news for people that have been looking for Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. 
which I think is going to be a fun experience, especially if you're uh, an older fan with younger fans and kind of want to get them mixed up in a new hobby or just enjoying Star Wars together in a different fashion. All right. I'm running out of steam, my friends. So it's time for the Star Wars Time Show fan segment. I'm still going to end up somehow doing a damn near two-hour show by myself. So poor Nick. No, no, no reason he called in sick or got himself sick. <laughs> I'm the one that, that keeps the poor bastard doing this shit for more hours than he wants to, clearly. Uh, but here we go. I even told my wife, I was like, I, I should be done an hour earlier. And it looks like it might only be about 30 minutes earlier. So I'm a liar. All right. So you know what time it is. Once we get through all of our topics in a weekly session of the Star Wars Time Show, it's time to honor the fans, and we do it two ways. Uh, the first way you can get involved is through the Fan Question of the Week, which gets posted every Tuesday morning on our Instagram account at Star Wars Time Show. So you can reply either via the story or leave a comment on the post, and either Nick or myself will look through them, grab five, and then we will read them during the first part of the fan segment. The second half of the fan segment is for you Star Wars artists out there, and that is our top five featured Star Wars artists of the week, where Nick chooses the top five shots from a week of features, which I put out every day, Monday through Sunday, on at Star Wars Time Show. So if you want to get mixed up in that, make sure to tag us, because I'm a glutton for punishment and like going through the messages every day and just tapping on them so the notifications go away, because... For some reason, Meta, whoever the fuck made the change, thought it'd be a good idea to send you direct messages every time someone tags you. I can't believe it hasn't been rolled back yet. I've seen no value in it, and I've seen no user of Instagram say, hey, this was a novel idea. Thanks, Meta. You're the best. It's a pile of shit move. Fix it. But either way, if you want to get involved in the top five, make sure to tag at Star Wars Time Show because I'm an asshole and then use hashtag Star Wars Time Show. All right, so let's go ahead and pull up our question of the week here on the stream. Go ahead and hide the window and I'm going to read through what our lovely fan base had to say about what was your favorite or least favorite part from the book of Boba Fett episode four. All right. Oh, man, I got to do them all this week. I forgot. <laughs> Up first, we got Figure Hurts, or as we like to call him, Figure Fucking Hurts. And he says, the scenes in Fire Spray, but especially as he is going down on that unsuspecting Sarlacc looking for his armor, we all know he lost when getting messed over by a bunch of shitty Jawa. Also, his chats with Fennec in episode four explain more backstory than the entire first three episodes. I guess this was originally where the book began and someone, this must be a, a UK thing, taped a bunch of pages in the front of the book for weight. I totally loved EP4, flame emoji, flame emoji, flame emoji. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's not too wrong there. I mean, I, I enjoyed the first three episodes and didn't really think they were filler, but you really did. For those of you that weren't kind of picking up on where things were going, episode four was like, yo, I'm doing this because of that. Done. It's a done deal. All right, this one is from Pure Stock Images. Welcome, Pure Stock Images. Favorite part has to be Kersantan paying off the comment in episode four by Han Solo about what Wookiees are known to do to people when they get mad. 
I think that attention to detail really pays off with the fan base. Besides, anything with Kersantin at this point is going to be epic. True enough. Let's all pull for that hot toy because if you missed out on the hot toy Chewbacca, it's one of the most unique looking hot toys because it's A, it's big as fuck, but it's furry. It's so furry, they send a real comb with uh, as one of the accessories so you can kind of have some stroke sessions with Chewie on the weekend. Nope, didn't want to zoom. Ah, yes. There is truly only one fan that can be guaranteed a question of the week read, and that is Grief Cardboard. We've been speaking Grief's name since the early days of the Star Wars Time Show live stream. Grief has returned to grace us with a comment, so Grief gets said comment read live on the show. All right, so Grief Cardboard says, What can I say? But damn, is Jennifer Beals looking good as a Twi'lek? I'd Garza her flip for sure. <laughs> yeah, cardboard. But in all seriousness, I really like this episode. The scene in the kitchen with Ratcatcher, the scene with the Slave One, fire spraying quotes, mowing down the Nicktoes, Kersantan tearing limbs off, and the Rancor gem at the dinner table. They were all great. By far, pound for pound, the best episode yet. The only gripe I have, if you would call it one, is how is the Slave One able to hover over the Sarlacc pit? I guess I should have just suspended belief for that one. Which scenes were your Matt and Nick favorite in this one? Love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Grief, we love you too. Uh, I, I think I, I talked about my favorite scene. I, I think it was, uh, I mean, one of them, definitely the whole kitchen scene with the rat catcher and it's self-suicide by the, by the shutdown. And uh, some of the kind of lore exposure that we got or i'm sorry if we're ta talking favorites that would have to be the slave one showing up on the tails of the uh, uh the nick toes and, and blowing them the fuck out of the dune sea all right <laughs> up next looks like bat got in here under the 2797 studios handle oh yeah here comes the boom I like the Sarlacc showdown. The image of the Slave One. Yes, I said it. Hanging over the pit is iconic. Our extra look inside. So cool. Then the seismic charge. Underground. So epic. Sarlacc definitely dead now. LOL emoji. Yes. True, true, true. That was fun. You know, you had to wonder, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Maybe next time, Boba, if you approach a Sarlacc pit and you don't know if it's alive or dead... Kind of angle yourself so you can use those tail guns and shoot the shit out of it before you decide to kind of jam your, your slave one into it as if it is a hot dog going into a bun. Oh boy, Tones, you're going to kill me, man. Lots to read here. All right, this is from our buddy Tones1138, who's been holding it down in the live stream for me uh, with the other super fans that we love, kind of giving me some feedback to bounce off of. But Tones, here we go. Hell yeah! I'll get the negative stuff out of the way first. Cyber kids look shit, again, and the techno music just didn't fit. Flet, Fett climbing into the cockpit looked janky and speeded up a little. That's all. As soon as I saw the flares, I instantly made the connection. Absolutely love that! I'll miss the flashback to Tank Dreams, but they tied it up real well. Once again, the Sarlacc and Kersantan stole the show, easily the highlights of the episode, as was Slave One raining fire on the Striders. Now that 
was Star Wars and totally felt like it. Seeing Slave One flying over the dunes looked incredible. What a way to take out the Sarlacc once and for all. And seeing how the beak actually works and is stored inside was awesome and added canon to both the original and SE versions. Don't touch my buttons. And Mando's theme at the end? Adored every moment of this episode. Absolutely outstanding. Alright. Uh-oh. Looks like we, uh... Lost a little bit of the stream here. Hopefully, uh, stuff's still going out. Who the hell knows? Luckily, we're, we're towards the end of the episode, though. Uh, is that our last question of the week? Yes. All right, so that is this week's question of the week. Now we have this week's top five Star Wars artists. So this covers January 17 to January 24. It does look like, I don't know, I'm getting excellent connection, so maybe YouTube's having issues, but we'll, we'll get through this. I just have the top five to get through, so it's a bummer that the chat died out. Who the hell knows what's going on? Uh, it's not looking good. Hello there. All right, whatever, chat. Let's get through this. Okay, so this week's top five, like I said, uh, throughout the week, if you tag at Star Wars Time Show and use hashtag Star Wars Time Show, I look every morning and feature them our account. And then Nick on Monday nights goes through and picks his five favorite. So this week, let's see what we got. Up first, we have one of my personal favorite artists, and that is Jason B. Michael with just a fantastic shot. Like just so creative, so clever. What we're seeing here, if you're on the uh, audio only version, you got Mando in the desert on a payphone shooting trooper helmets for target practice with his <laughs> Wilson-esque Grogu doll that he has made himself since Grogu has disappeared. And you can see a speeder in the background. And it's just a great image, but the caption that Jason put sells it even more. And, and let me read it for you right here. Uh, the, the caption is, Wednesday? I'll have to check my schedule. Been super busy. Uh, so he's he's implying that, hey, after the Book of Boba Fett episode four, we got that Mando motif. Boba's given Mando a call, but Mando is out kind of playing with his putt out in the desert, shooting skulls and, and taking calls on a payphone. So I, I don't know. I just I love the way Jason B. Michael thinks. He obviously is is creative, but he also has the ability to execute his visions. Uh, so that was pretty Pretty interesting shot and, and very well staged. And, and really, like I said, the, the, the comment just kind of sells the whole deal. So that is at Jason B. Michael on Instagram. Give him a follow. Dude puts out some uh, fantastic work on his Instagram account. All right. This one is just great. You got, I mean, how can you not love that Wilson, Wilson, Wilson-esque Grogu doll? All right. All right, so if you're on the live stream, sorry. Looks like all sorts of stuff is bombing out. Who knows if you can see it or not. Uh, maybe drop a note in Discord. Let me know if you're seeing anything. Otherwise, I'm going to speed things along here. Up next, we have a great-looking old man Luke shot. And this is from... Why do I keep clicking on that stuff? This is from... From the Outer Rim on Instagram. And this is a shot of the... It looks like the figure arts... Acto Luke, you know, the one where he's sucking on alien nipples for milk. 
Uh, but it's just a great portrait shot. I mean, you, you got some nice practical effects mixed in with what looks like a Digirama-based background. Uh, it's it's a good portrait style pose. You got some porgs in there. There's some atmosphere added. It's just a very nice stoic looking shot of angry Luke, the, the Luke that a lot of fans did not appreciate in the Last Jedi. Uh, and this is not the Luke. This is not the figure arts Luke that I murdered a few years back because he was being a little bit of a diva during a photo shoot and I couldn't change his hands out. This one actually works pretty well, but at From the Outer Rim uh, really makes a good case for this figure. Very good portrait shot with, like I said, a mix of practical set pieces and digital. Job well done. At From the Outer Rim on Instagram. This is a this is a fun setup here from at Burkhead Toys on Instagram. And what you're seeing if you're not on the live stream, or it doesn't even sound like the live stream can see it anymore. But you have you have the old Star Wars arcade cabinet. All right, that's just a fantastic, fantastic looking prop piece. You got R2, you got Luke crawling into the cabinet, then you have Force Ghost Obi-Wan uh kind of looking by. And I, I believe the caption was like, you know. Uh, trust your feelings, Luke, you know, use the force kind of playing on what Obi was saying to Luke uh, in a new hope during the trench run. But, but Burkhead always manages to kind of mash some prop pieces that don't necessarily make sense for the universe. Right. I mean, it's not like we ever saw uh, a, a star Wars arcade cabinet in star Wars, but it, it just, it, it fits with a kind of a tongue in cheek approach here. It, it, it's a fun shot. You know, Luke getting some training in in that classic arcade cabinet that I'm sure a lot of people of my generation and, and you know, those of you born in the late 60s, early 70s played as well. Uh, I still think my favorite Star Wars arcade game is the Trilogy arcade game that came out years ago, years and years and years ago. Uh, but it's the one... Uh, there's like three or four missions you can fly. If, if you beat the flying missions, you can then do the... You can then do the kind of fighting. You have one fight with Vader, one fight with Boba Fett, and you're using the joystick to swing your lightsaber around. It's all good stuff. Just like this shot from at Burkhead Toys that we're looking at now. So give them a follow over on Instagram. Uh, this shot right here, I'm glad Nick picked this because this is from at DarkSideSense77, who is a, a longtime member of the toy photography community, but has kind of gone away for a few years and is just getting back to shooting again. And what Jeff gave us here, that's at DarkSideSense77, he gave us a really good-looking uh, finished shot of Cad Bane. <coughs> I'm sorry, people. Like I said, I, I, need, to, I need to hang up. I'm, I'm starting to go downhill pretty bad so i'm doing my best here didn't think i'd go this long but hey i got diarrhea of the star wars mouth but anyways at dark side since 77 just a great shot of cad bane he's got his his rocket boosters enabled i like the flare effects that jeff went with you got some practical rain going on in there it's just i i, I like the the edit on it kind of the post-processing uh, making it it looks like there's a little soft proofing here maybe like a higher contrast setting but it's just a, a good practical shot of Cad Bane doctored up with some nice VFX. So definitely give at Darkside since 77 a follow. Dude also makes some ridiculously awesome looking dioramas for uh, toy photography. 
All right, and last but not least, for some reason it's not showing, so hopefully it'll open up on Instagram. It's not looking like it's going to. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if I even have an internet connection anymore. Can anybody hear me? Yeah, something's going on. Uh, maybe, maybe we're having like another whole street internet just dropped. Great. So I, I may be talking to myself or this is just going to the audio only. So who, who the hell knows what's going on at this point? Uh, but I'll wrap it up here. So uh, the last shot, I remember what it was. It's, it's a shot from Gabe.real.p and it's a shot of Tross Ray, the Hot Toys Tross Ray in her white. And it just looks fantastic. Uh, you know, she's in her kind of her white robes. I believe one of the droids are there. I can't really see it because the Internet's not working. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Like I said, who, who the hell knows what's going on at this point in time on the live stream? Uh, my wife just told me that the Internet just went out for everybody, but uh, YouTube's saying I'm still connected. So who the hell knows what is going on? I'm, I'm wondering if I'm still connected because my computer is hardwired. So uh, if you were on the live stream and you missed uh, the last part of the fan segment in the top five, it should be recorded on the audio only, which comes out on Wednesdays. All right, people, it's time to put 197 to bed. You know what to do. Head on over to StarWarsTime.net, convince a friend, convince a family member, do what you got to do, but get them over there and point them to the podcast platforms. We're on almost all of them, or tell them to get looped in with the YouTube channel, which is you can also find on StarWarsTime.net, or just go to YouTube.com slash Show. There really is always time for Star Wars Time, except when the internet drops. All right, so... You know what to do. Let's keep building this audience up because there truly is always time for Star Wars time. And like I've always said, if you do listen to the Star Wars time show, the Force will be with you always. (laughs) 